Hello and welcome to the podcast, Enemies from War to Wisdom. This podcast is dedicated to unpacking the often confusing and painful issues that surround human hostilities. In this way, we hope to open the door to greater curiosity, dialogue, and discovery between people who are poised to be enemies, those who are opposed to each other or have been hurt and rejected by each other. Our goal is to help us all enter into the wisdom that prevents chronic conflict from leading to alienation, fragmentation, or war. I'm your host, Eleanor Johnson, a videographer and artist who is the director of Emma Troop, an experimental theater laboratory in New York City. And I'm here with co-host Polly Young-Eisendratt. She is an author, speaker, psychologist, and psychoanalyst. While we come to these topics from each our own perspectives, Polly and I bring insight from our own lifelong dedicated practices of Buddhism that inform everything we do and think. We hope you find our conversation useful and that you will join us again and again. And now the podcast. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the difference between aggression and anger, how our passive and active aggression, essentially biological and hardwired through our mammalian brains. What does the limbic system have to do with our sense of outrage and disgust? And what do these things have to do with our morality? Why is anger an essentially human emotion? And how is it useful in conflict with respect? This podcast will set the groundwork for a human dialogue about dangerous conflict without animal reactivity to the triggers of rage. Thank you, Polly. Uh, okay, so Eleanor, what, what I think we really want to establish in this podcast is the difference between anger and aggression. And we've, we've uh, talked about a lot of topics that, you know, sort of interact or approach on these issues. But I wanted to do a conversation specifically about the difference between anger and aggression, because again, it's like the issues about love and hate. A lot of people really do not understand that there is a big difference between something like rage and right. being angry. And so let's talk first about what aggression is and where it gets triggered in the human brain or the mammalian brain. It's the same trigger point, which is in the limbic system. Aggression, first of all, is the response to fear or threat. A lot of people don't know that uh-huh. even. So let me just say that again, that aggression is the response to fear or threat. Now, aggression here, it, it means either fighting back, which is active aggression, which includes any kind of attack on the other person. Could be physical, could be an emotional attack. It could be a, an attack of... Uh, angry words like ideal, I, idealistic attack, you know, like your, your, your ideals are wrong. You know, you, yeah. you capitalist you, right. that's an attack. Right. Okay. Right. What we so, see so much of today. Yeah. yeah. So it, the aggression, the active aggression is when you actually move out to attack the other. The extreme of active aggression is murder. You kill the other, you wipe the other out. Passive aggression is aggression turned against the self. It removes the self so that the person who is passive aggressive might leave the room, might forget, procrastinate, stop speaking, send up the stone wall, go silent. In the extreme, suicide. 
is the extreme passive aggressive act, uh -huh. killing the self. Uh -huh. So killing the other, killing the self, acting actively against the other, acting passively against the self. Those are the extreme reactions of aggression in the face of fear. There is also something just called a freeze reaction where you just can't do anything. But typically what you see in most interactions uh, is either the active aggression, criticizing, right, judging, right. fighting, or the passive aggression, withholding, stonewalling, procrastinating, and or removing yourself. So those two forms of aggression are wired into the amygdala in the limbic brain. So the limbic brain is right behind your eyes. So the frontal cortex is what is in your forehead, kind of right over your eyes. Behind your eyes is this limbic system. There's a lot in the limbic system that is not just the fight or flight reaction, but that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this little organ called the amygdala and the fact that the amygdala causes you to react with passive or active aggression when you feel threatened, even if you do not know that you feel threatened. Like an example is given, you may not even see the snake, but oh, something right. yes, in yes, you yes, sees yeah. the snake yeah. and you start to run. And so you actually react to this feeling of threat before you have a thought there's a snake. And so in all of our interactions, we are hardwired to react to feelings of threat. Now, I think we touched on this in an earlier show, but because human beings react through their associations, right. they can be threatened by something that is not threatening. They can be threatened by a tone of voice, by, you know, for example, if your father always scolded you uh, when you didn't tie your shoes right, you can become actually anxious about tying your shoes so that you feel threatened when you start to tie your shoes. And if somebody clears their throat, you could react just to that. So we're, as humans, we're full of these associations that feel threatening and they can set off the active or passive aggression without us even knowing that we're reacting that way. And then we don't even know it until we've run the other way or until we've made the insult to the other person. So active and passive aggression built into the system, just like the attachment bonds are built in. And we're reactive to things that we associate with being emotionally threatening, even if we don't know that we actually are perceiving them. So, you know, before we perceive anything, um, we, everything that we so-called perceive about the so-called world, it all goes through our entire nervous system and comes back to the cortex. That's the way we perceive. So before you even know what you're seeing, you already have a whole bodily feeling about it and you have reactivity to it. So you could say that's also somatic or... or the it's way somatic, yeah. Trauma is locked into our system without even... We don't even know that we had that trauma... That association. Association yes, right. to tying the that's shoes. Right. That's right. Or, or, or I, I, keep, I keep thinking also of memory. 
Yes, emotional memories. So you're bringing in emotional memory. We hadn't actually talked about that earlier. So the the, another organ in this limbic system, this brain that's behind your eyes, is something called the hippocampus. And it looks a little bit like a seahorse. So the amygdala looks a little like an almond, and the hippocampus looks like a little seahorse. And the hippocampus is the seat of what's called emotional memory. Now, this is very difficult to explain to people, but emotional memories are stored without any configuration, like not an image, not words. It's more like pieces of a puzzle that when they're reassembled at that moment, you see the boogeyman or whatever. You know, it's like you're walking along. And something happens and bang, it becomes something in your mind that is threatening or that is attractive. Emotional memory also has attractiveness possibilities in it. So somebody speaks to you with a certain tone of voice. Somebody says a word with a kind of implication. Somebody moves their head in a certain way or clears their throat in a certain way. And you can actually, in that moment, perceive that they're being either hostile or threatening or seductive towards you when they don't have that motivation at all. But your emotional memory is assembling it that way. And there's no way to check that out except to talk to the other person about it. You cannot check it out with yourself because your own self, your very own internal interactive system is, is... is basically saying this is a fish you know and even if it's a bird you can't get it so the emotional memories which are buried and as you said many of them you won't even know you've had like for example I see people in therapy that had surgery when they were infants they couldn't possibly remember that but they have reactivity to sound or they have reactivity to certain kinds of machinery which probably was the way that they were experiencing monitors that they were up against when they'd had surgery as an infant. So within our limbic system, we have this weird, inaccessible uh, record, which doesn't exist. It only exists as a potential for reassembling in the present moment. So... um, Wow. That yeah. means that we can perceive things really, really wrongly. You know, we, we, we believe that that's a poisonous remark, but that was somebody clearing their throat. So again, this is another one of these essential human attributes that we do not, particularly when we're feeling threatened, we do not see or hear things as they are. We're very bad eyewitnesses. Yeah. And 80% of the time, when we feel any kind of fear or threat, we remember the situation wrongly. Right. We don't remember mm-hmm. the components. We don't see it, hear it, smell it, feel it yeah. in the way that it's happening. We assemble all of that ourselves. Frankly, on a bigger level, and this is much more of a, a Buddhist teaching that I can convey here, but this whole thing of assembling a reality and believing it is what we're doing all the time. Right. You know, but where where it's really obvious is in regard to emotional memory right. and the triggers for active and passive aggression. Right. Or how we hold self. 
Well, the, the, that, the self I mean, is that collection well, of that's, stuff. That's, that's the interactive I'm, aspect. That's what yeah. I'm feeling. I'm just yeah. feeling how every all, all these moving parts in terms of you know we want we want solid ground or yeah we want we want things to solidify stabilize neutralize yeah and, yeah and there are this, all we want things moving. to be safe right hello right, right. how could they be safe right. when you can't even see things accurately right, right, you know right. so you're always actually putting together a puzzle from parts from pieces and you're reacting to the experiences that you're having that someone else may not be having at all. That's right. And so the active and passive aggression, though, are big features when people live together over time or when they're in conflict. Yeah. Because as soon as you experience the other person as being a threat, right. you will try to protect yourself. And the way you will try will be either to fight them or to flee from them. And you actually have to stop yourself sometimes after the fact. Like you see what you're doing and you say, wow, I need to go back there and apologize. Or that really wasn't accurate. I was seeing that through my point of view. And um, so passive and active aggression actually all always produce more passive and active aggression. Yeah, yeah, so if yeah. you hit somebody in the face... Yeah. Yeah. They're going to hit you back right. or they're going to run or away. You, or again, that kind of negative force field that matches energy. It attracts. Yeah. It's like right. it attracts itself to itself. Well, it's also threatening. So if somebody insults you, that's threatening to you. Yeah. So then you're going to either yeah. walk away, right. get out of the argument, or you're right. going to insult right. them back. Right. So again, it's right. it's basically aggression is not the way you want to proceed right. Right. if you want to actually right. have a dialogue. Right. Uh, solve a problem, right. uh, work with difference. You don't right. want to proceed with aggression. Similarly, as we said before, you do not want to begin with humiliation. Right. Humiliation is where you point out somebody's faults. Right. You start by pointing out their faults. Right. Right. And so again, we see in the public domain, newspapers, media of all sorts, just a list of faults of what our leaders are doing, or our opponent, opponents are doing that's not a, a way you to proceed for yeah, problem yeah. solving because it just evokes yeah. rage yeah. so you cannot proceed by seeing what others are doing that's right. that's wrong it's also so poisonous because we've got such serious problems and that we have resources to how to deal with it but there's no focus on that because we're we're in this other kind of game with without projecting all of this just negative, just, you know, I mean, well, maybe humiliation. Many, many, I mean, it's many, awful. Many people, I believe, think that they begin. So, I mean, I find this in, in families, couples, as well as in communities. People think that it's quote unquote fair to begin by telling somebody what they did wrong. Right. You know, it's right. like something like, you know, you did da 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 right. wrong, or you promised to do da 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 da, and you didn't do it. Right. That is not the way to begin right. any kind of problem solving, yeah. because so again, it, it's humiliating. To... And if so, you know, either that's false about the other person and they're right. enraged, or it's true and they've been exposed and they're enraged. And so it's not a way to begin. If you really want to begin problem-solving conversation, you start with the common ground. So we're here today because we're all interested in this, you know. And so then you begin with maybe stating what your position is 
and asking someone else what their position is and trying to be interested. That's that little bit of love coming in, to be interested, to be interested. Um, So active and passive aggression are not a, should not be a part of any intimate relationship and they never lead to any kind of stable problem solving and they're they are not a way of dealing with injustice or um, right, unfairness exactly. they're just not you have nowhere to go you have nowhere to go yeah. and others will just fight you back yeah, yeah. Or, or they'll yeah. run away or whatever right. it's just not useful now active and passive aggression are useful if there's really a danger like again if someone has a gun in your face or someone wants to fight you, or somebody is out to get you, yeah, you might have to block that, you might have to fight back, whatever, but that's not a place you begin, and it's certainly not a place that will lead to solutions. So, um, you know, throughout time, human beings, uh, different, so, oh, the other thing is that um, animals, all of the, all of the higher animals, all of the mammals, and the people, the animals that we observe, um, I was going to say the people that we observe as animals, the <laughs> animals that we think of as being like people, they all do the fight and flight. Yeah, they all yeah, have the yeah, active yeah, and passive yeah, aggression. Yeah. But none of them have what we call anger. You know, We never say the dog gets angry with another dog. Uh-huh. The dog fights another dog or the dog flees another dog. The dog doesn't get angry. So there's something about anger right away that's kind of built into our language that we don't notice often that we don't use it in relation to animals. We don't say that, you know, bull was angry with the cows. We say the bull fought the cows or ran after the cows or whatever. So anger, the Greeks called it the moral emotion. And um, they pointed out that uh, it involves reflection, that in order to be angry, and really angry, not just fight because you feel threatened. You have to have a sense of what was done wrong or unjustly to you. In other words, you you say something like, I am angry because you owed me $20 and you paid me only 10. And that does not, that is not a criticism of the other person. It's a statement of why I'm angry. It's not saying you are dishonest. That's aggression. That's an attack. Uh To say you are manipulative, that's an attack on you. But to say you paid me $10, but you owed me 20, as I remember it, and so I'm angry, is a statement about me, my experience. I'm angry because I believe you paid me 10 when you owed me 20. And then the the other person can say, oh my You're wrong. goodness, I didn't realize <laughs> I forgot. that was a $10 bill. Yeah, oh, or, I thought it was a 20. <laughs> that's right, right. Or the other person can say, You're wrong. You know, you <laughs> well, didn't you didn't see, you didn't look in your wallet again and right. see see if that really was a 10 or a 20. And so basically anger opens up a reflection on the situation that has been perceived as being unfair or unjust. Anger also sets a boundary. You can say, you know, stop talking to me in that tone. I can't answer you when you talk to me in that tone. Now, the other person might say, what tone? And then you can say, well, I'm hearing, you know, an insulting tone. But again, it's not saying to the other person, you're an asshole. You know, you're speaking to me in a really stupid way. So 
Active and passive aggression. Active is the, you're an asshole. Anger is, I don't want to go on with the conversation until you can yeah. speak to me yeah. in a tone yeah. that sounds more polite or kind. Then you have to talk about that. But That would be a great training ground again. I mean, it's like to be able to really practice that we could catch ourselves. Yeah. Catch yeah. ourselves in terms of how we talk. I mean, you're also opening up the field of language. Yeah. You're helping us understand what, what the meaning behind these words that we use or we take for granted. And so often that we don't in, think deeply about what they really what they what mean. The, what yeah. the implication right. really is. Because you know that people don't say dogs get angry with each other. Yeah. You, you know that. No, but I've never heard anybody say those dogs got angry with each other. Those dogs fought. Yeah. I keep having this thing, bear with me on this, but like a kind of boot camp, you know, where you could go and, you know, you train hard to learn these military skills or to become martial arts or meditating, whatever, but to be actually to be able to have, to practice catching yourself in that. Yeah. To really, you know, get the, get the, get the yoga of it. Yeah, that's great. Yoga, be, I think that's would true. Would be incredible yes. because then you could, you know, you yeah. could just pick it up then, and think, right. oh, and you know, again, accountability, taking it back in, withdrawing your, you know, and one of the phrases in, in, in the uh, Vajrayana, you know, draw all blames into one, which makes people fall off their chair thinking, what on earth does that mean? Mm-hmm. But again, just being able to catch, catch that reactivity. Well, if you, just, if you use yeah. anger in yeah. a way that's useful, you don't it's need powerful. to be aggressive. You it's know, a creative kind. It's, it's a kind of creativity. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And you can kind of mine it with the other person, too. If someone says that they're angry, right. you can say, help me understand why right. you're angry. Right, exactly. It's and a kindness. And then you go into it yeah. and say, well, the yeah. person felt this and that and so yeah. on. And maybe you're culpable and maybe you're not. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not a fight. Right. And, it, and so anger actually saves us from aggression right and aggression is is different from anger yes. similarly rage rage is more on the aggression spectrum but rage is this agitation which we feel when our faults are exposed to the group when we feel humiliated as and rage can be explosive now people People lump all of this together as anger. And Buddhists do this often. Uh They talk about not being angry, that anger is so destructive. Actually, anger is reflective. It saves us from aggression, which is destructive. If we use anger, we can organize a protest march. We can make a statement. We can, um, you know, write to our congressperson. We can stop the other person from insulting we can say stop it doesn't say anything about the other person it says i've reached a boundary i don't want to do this anymore that is different from fighting it's different from being enraged and it's different from running away so i think that in really um, a framework of how we can do conflict with respect we can use anger as a way of stopping a situation where we feel we're unfairly treated. And then we would open up a dialogue with the other person where there was the possibility of the other person then understanding why we're angry and why we don't want to continue, you know, with this format. Right, right. But right. it's not insulting. It's not insulting the other person. So you it's keep not the field diminishing open. the other you person. Keep, you allow for the possibility and uh, 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much that's so much can happen when when the field is open versus when everything closes down and walls come down and yeah. Well, the walls that are coming down to be really accurate again, when we feel threatened, and and again knowing that Homo sapiens are full of self protection, we can feel threatened so easily. There's a tendency when we feel threatened then to use the active or passive aggression. People that are passive aggressive also when they stonewall, they procrastinate, they withhold, they withdraw. Sometimes they think of themselves as being spiritual. You know, they think that they're never the person who throws the stone. Right. But they're the person usually who's not participating, who's not coming forward, who's not saying, yes, I'd like one of those. And so they're not actually using their voice because they're afraid if they use it, they're going to be destructive. But anger gives you the possibility of using your voice without actually being destructive when you need to create a boundary so you don't have to run away, so you don't have to withhold. So this is conscious anger that you're talking about. Well, in a sense, the Greeks defined anger as conscious. Yeah. Because they said it's a reflective emotion. It's not just a body response. It takes reflection. So it means essentially, I don't like that. I, I feel unfairly treated here. I, I find this to be unjust, but it doesn't say anything about you. So the other is not sort of characterized in a negative way. It's more the self saying, I don't like it. I won't go on with it. I'm angry about this but not characterizing the other. So you don't say like, I'm angry because you're an asshole. I mean, because that is an aggressive remark or I'm angry because you're manipulative. No, that's aggression still. I'm angry because I believe you didn't give me back the $20 that I lent you. And so then we find out, did you? You know, you have a chance to say, well, maybe check your wallet. I did. Or, oh, I forgot, or I, I thought that was a 20 or whatever, you know. So there's some place to move with anger. And right. anger actually opens up a feedback wow. to the other person yeah. Yeah. where aggression does not, even passive aggression, right. it doesn't open Being up anything. Being able to distinguish between that now is, is, again, very, very helpful. And then when you think about in terms of, you know, peacemaking, you know, to be able to have healthy, conscious anger can yes. keep moving in a direction toward... A, a, a more possible solution well, for the all involved. Yes, that's right. The solution everyone. that everyone yeah. can embrace. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that it could be very. I mean, in many ways, Martin Luther King had that in a yes. way. He had conscious anger at times that just oh, yeah. woke us up. Oh, absolutely. Gandhi had that. All of all of the big yeah. uh, organizers yeah. who have yeah. been effective. Yeah, it's have used their it's anger. Been inspiring. Yeah. They've, well, they've used their anger in a way to open up that the conversation yeah. with all of humanity. Right. And I was just reading here um, the words of Polly Murray, who's a black and queer Episcopal priest and civil rights activist, who oh, in 1965, right, right. Uh, at the age of 55, earned a degree from Yale. And in 1945, she wrote, I intend to destroy segregation by positive and embracing methods. When my brothers try to draw a circle to exclude me, I shall draw a larger circle to include them. Where they speak out for the privileges of a puny group, 
I shall shout for the rights of all mankind. Yes. So, you know, it's yes. it's like you can you can use your anger yes. to make a larger circle yes. to fight for the rights of all people and not just to protect yourself. Right. Right. But pa- active and passive aggression, you really are only going to protect yourself. You're yeah. not taking yeah. things in a larger circle. You're taking things to protect yourself. Right, right. Uh, and again, to realize yeah. that we're, we're very, very uh, motivated to protect ourselves. I think I've said this thousands of times wow, now, even wow. in the podcast. That's a, in but, many ways, too. Like, I just feel like, you know, the blinds opening up and it, this is, it, there's real discernment in this. Yeah. Very, yeah. very important. Wow, Polly, this is excellent. And if you can use anger then to actually talk about your own boundaries and talk about the things where you feel unjustly treated, then you don't have to fight and you don't have to run away. Again, it's a matter of trusting yourself. Right. If you can speak in that way, and in that way, you also have a freedom to deal with the feeling of being disrespected, but also true injustice. Where there's true injustice, your freedom is to use your anger to fight for justice, but not your aggression to fight other people. Right. Because then that just brings about the more the threat. Yeah. Um, And isn't it also in Buddhism, we talk, well, I think it's an all true, uh, at the heart of all spirituality, where you can you can have conscious anger toward the condition without having to yeah. project it onto the person. Right. You right. just leave the per- you just keep you, st- you keep it away from um, um, you know projecting it onto another human being. Right, because you recognize you we all have these faults. Right. We're all these. But you don't have to. You don't have to like the um, the condition that is is creating destructive activity. Yeah, you know it's um, the if you think about it in order to use this sort of love, which is the ongoing interest in knowing the other, accepting and tolerating the other person, in order to use that, you do have to file like a petition for your own rights. You have to say no. You have to say, I don't like that. I'm angry about that. But when you say it in a way that is truly angry, it is not an attack on the other person. And the other person really shouldn't feel threatened by it. You know, they might feel a little bit defensive because you're saying, hey, yeah. I don't like this. Or and I, I see you this way. Yeah. But you can hold your own vulnerability without, again, throwing it back at the other. It doesn't threaten the other yeah, person. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, call yeah. them names. Mm-hmm. It doesn't reveal their weaknesses. It doesn't take mm-hmm. on this idea that you... Uh, have to get away from them because they're toxic. None of that, you know. So all of this kind of culture that we're in now, calling other people toxic, calling, um, you know, saying that you feel unsafe because somebody has said a word that triggered you, all of those kinds of responses are aggressive. It's aggressive to say, I feel unsafe because you said this. If you know, or I feel unsafe because of the color of your skin, color, and I don't want you the, living next door to me. Yeah, or I feel unsafe because I mean, now in yoga class, people say, "Close your eyes if you feel safe to do that." Oh. You know, there's instead of saying "Close your eyes if you want to," people say "Close your eyes if you feel safe." Well, how do you know if you feel safe? I mean, I I think that life is not very safe, 
And, you know, we need to figure out at any moment how we want to respond to those conditions. But it's not like we always just have to protect ourselves. We can actually rise up to the moment and figure out something. And anger really does allow us to um, move through complicated conflicts without attacking others. I think in in the work that I did when I was doing all of the earth walks in different parts of the world where there had been great, where there's great suffering and, and great violence, I found that I... I just needed to walk the land. I needed to, there was a healthy creative anger that wanted, that was forcing me into those emotions mm. so that I could, I could understand, I could really face the enemy. I could look at it within myself, but that I could really meet, meet the emotion rather than just kind of pushing it away or, or coming up with some kind of conceptual theory that made me felt, feel safe or comfortable, mm-hmm. but also still held a righteous anger toward the other who was wrong. Mm-hmm. I just, there was some something that was moving in me that, that had to do with, I don't know, a deep, deep kind of memory or, but I had to feel it in the body. Mm-hmm. I had to face it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that was, there was a, there was a deep motivation there, and I'm thinking that motivation was a was a, was like a Maybe creative like anger. A, anger. It was a it was something that like an anger that the, that the, that people you, would have done those things, right? Uh, or you wanted to be able to take it on in such a way that you could help awaken people to the real dangers of of being asleep to yeah. to to that kind of aggression mm-hmm. or that kind of hatred mm-hmm. or you know or the 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 righteousness of feeling that you you know that you're doing something noble by humiliating and mm-hmm. making somebody you know less than you mm-hmm. well you asked earlier about people feeling kind of overwhelmed right now by um the conditions in North America I think in um and overwhelmed. Can you just tell me what you mean? It was a very. It was. I was. I was sensing a kind of. You know, a powerlessness that, that I was trying to get. I was trying to feel into because I. I realized that, there was like an absence of hope. Something that I. My life has been so shaped by, hope and faith and determination and. I don't know where it comes from, but, but it's always helped me to steady me and keep me moving toward, you know, toward becoming a better person or a more awakened person, a more enlightened person. Mm -hmm. But I found that, that just, it was, I just, I just sensed that with a lot of the people that I was with, mainly the younger generation, that they don't have that, they don't have ease around uh, a hopeful future, a sense of a hopeful future. And again, you know, I'm dealing with people who are educated and who are mm-hmm. capable and have all kinds of resources that, you know, a huge percentage of humanity doesn't have. Well, Amer- was... America actually has so many resources. Even our poorest people have yeah, many yeah. more resources than uh, the poor yeah. do in other places. Yeah. But, but what, it's, what it's, is it that allows well, somebody to have hope? Well, it struck me what, when, when you said that earlier, too, I hadn't thought about this until just now, that the Dalai Lama said that as he travels the world, the people that have the greatest hope and happiness are the poorest people. Yeah, yeah. Maybe people have too much. I don't know. I yeah. mean, if you have so much, both possibilities and expectations, maybe the ordinary kind of interest in a day's encounters um, isn't enough, you know, that you feel as though you can't, um, you can't actually just be interested in what's arising around you. 
Um, it be, feels like hard work. It's yeah. like their attention span has been been eradicated. We used to say, was it Andy Warhol who said that, you know, f- we have 15 minutes of an attention span. We we have now three minutes of an attention span. Well, I think span. he said we had 15 minutes of fame. Oh, well, he said that too, but <laughs> well, he also, he was also... Maybe he attention span too, because he did some long movies, <laughs> yeah. but, right, right, but right. nothing happened. Um, but he did they, say that. He did yeah. say, but he also talked a lot about the... Uh, the attention span being so limited. Yeah, yeah. Well, know. it's true. It really. I mean, the thing is, everything about being human is malleable. Not everything, but let's say, uh, in, in the the conditions in which we live are not malleable. But our um, our our attitude towards those conditions is quite malleable. And so, if your attitude is of interest, if you're interested in what is actually happening, then you're always hopeful because you're always engaged. And uh, that, I think, is partly a skill that you can have, but it's perhaps also connected, I don't know, towards not having really big desires. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah. because when you say people don't yeah. have hope and they're very educated yeah. and they have means and so on, well, what are they hoping for? Well, or, or maybe they're just, you know, feeling they don't have, I mean, maybe the stage they're at is that they have to develop skills to be able to, to, to feel more grounded in their own life. Yeah. Like right now they're, they're a little bit overwhelmed in terms of how to deal with, with the sense of crisis in the world. Um, well, that's again. Yeah. That's a, a sort of a to me is interesting it's not, because they're not turning to yes, the inside. because it's not. not it's looking like within. that's right. Right. They're not. They're not the desire for. I mean, mm-hmm. I would say often. You know, my thing was is to to kind of get a sense of you know uh, how to introduce them, say, to spirituality. So we we both have quoted the lines from the Buddha's teaching of uh, the beginning of the Dhammapada where he says in one way or another, however you get the translation, with your thoughts, you make make the the world. world. So if you have the thought, he beat me, he did this to me, he did that to me, they're doing this, they're doing that. The Buddha says those thoughts follow you like the cart follows the ox. You're always unhappy and afraid because you're always generating the thought this one did this to me. This one did that to right. me. That one is, you know, if you generate instead, the first of all, if you recognize that moment to moment, you're actually making the other. You're not finding the other. You are generating right, right. self and other. Right. And so if you're generating an interesting other, oh, tomorrow will be interesting because I'll have an opportunity right. to you know, meet the mechanic at the garage and we'll talk about the car and we'll find out some things that I don't know right now. That is hope because you're assuming that it's going to be interesting. But if you get to the point where you're just like, well, now, you know, now those awful people, they're doing this. Now those awful people are doing that. Now they're doing this. That actually, you're making a world that you're miserable in. And right. that won't go away, right. you know. Right. Right. So it isn't that the world changes yeah. you. Yeah. It's yeah. with your thoughts you change yeah. the world. Right. And it, people, I think, get 
sort of the wrong angle on that. They think it's uh, that somehow they're going to make a perfect world by having great thoughts. No, that's right, not it. Right, right. No, it's it's more that if you actually engage with an interest in the world around you, you will find that it's always hopeful. Right. It's always interesting, even when you're dying. Right. When you're actually going into dying, that is a very interesting experience if you just stay interested. And of course, um, you know, what we're talking about in the podcast today is if, if you truly feel unfairly treated, then you can speak about your anger and, and how you feel unjustly treated without insulting others. That's right. So you, you know? don't set up the target for the arrow. Right, exactly, yeah. right. Yeah. So that's you a good just, place. Yeah. Yes, that's a wonderful place for us That's to a start. very good place to end when you and don't again, set the, up the, the you know, we, we're, we're all learning um, again and again, day by day, you know, um, this awareness. Thank you, Polly. Thanks so much for listening. And to continue the conversation, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find past episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and CastBox. Enemies from War to Wisdom is recorded and produced by Chris Coltrane.